seated. How wonderful to see all of you this morning. Thank you, Jason, for leading us so well in worship, one of my favorite songs that we just sang. I know you appreciated that as much as I did. It's a beautiful sight to see our children leaving now. They're heading toward children's worship. Uh, so thankful for Krista and her ministry and, and what she's doing with our children. If you have your Bibles, will you turn to the last chapter in Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. The finish line is coming. We have this Sunday and next Sunday, and we'll, we will have worked our way through the book of Galatians. What a joy it has been to do that with you. So thankful for your comments to me about how much you have enjoyed this. At least some of you have commented that, uh, and I am thankful for that, especially uh, for how God has been teaching us and and showing us different things. I'm wearing my Astros shirt this morning in honor of the fact that no Texas football team can win a football game. So uh, I've switched over to the Astros because they keep winning. So uh, we'll, we'll pull for them as they head toward the World Series. Let me share with you out of Galatians chapter 6. We've been working our way all through this book. Paul has written this letter to a church that he loves dearly, that he's very upset with. He's, he's called them names even because he's not happy with how they've been influenced uh, by a certain group of religious leaders that are within the church called the Judaizers. And so he's, uh, he's really hammering them hard. And you've heard this for week after week after week uh, that we are saved by the faith that we place in Jesus Christ and him alone. It has nothing to do with following any set of rules or laws or being legalistic in any form or fashion. That's exactly what Paul is trying to hammer home with them here. And so he's been doing it for four, the first four chapters. He's really been kind of tearing them up and he's kind of been uh, being very theological with them. He's, he's been preaching theology, trying to explain to them how important it is that they get away from the laws and that they get away from the rules that seem to govern them and they turn to the grace by faith that Jesus Christ allows them to have. We've talked over and over again about how the law is something that we obey because we love Jesus, not because if we obey the law, then Jesus will love us. It's not how it works. These chapters, these last two chapters, chapter 5, in chapter 6 is where Paul is turning from the doctrinal to the practical. And he's going to teach us all the practical things that we need to know about falling in love with Jesus and loving our fellow man and chasing after Christ and the grace that he provides. Last week we had the great privilege of working you through the fruit of the Spirit. Remember we talked about how the fruit of the Spirit is not a buffet line. You don't go through and pick certain fruits that you want. Hey, I want to be patient, but I don't know that I want to be joyful this week. Or, you know, I, I, I don't know if I want this one, but I, I sure would like this one. It's not what it says in the Scripture. The Scripture teaches us that we're supposed to be gentle to each other, kind to each other, joyful with each other, that we grab all that fruit and we try to display that in our lives. And so... We talked a little bit about that. We talked about how love, uh, when we display love, how it doesn't always come across as looking like love sometimes. And it certainly doesn't look like freedom sometimes. I, I explained to you about 
how my grandson had to get shots a couple of weeks ago when we were up there, how that kind of disrupted his life. Uh, and even in presenting that, I want to make sure that I make sure you hear me say for all the doctors and the, the nurse practitioners and everybody else that we have, that having shots is very important. I didn't want you to ever think that I was saying, you know, no kid should ever get vaccinated. That is not it. Dr. Head would never play the drums again if that's what I was saying to you, right? Every kid ought to be vaccinated, right? So you hear me say that Riker needed those vaccinations, but it was very traumatizing uh, to us as grandparents. We, we still loved the doctor and we still loved Riker and we still loved his parents, even though he kept us up all night long after he got those shots and those shots were worth it. But that's what love looks like. Love means you take care of those children in the midst of all those things. It doesn't mean that it's always great. So here in chapter 6, we're going to run into the same thing. Paul is going to talk to us about what happens when you find somebody that you love very much, a brother in, in the faith, a sister in the faith, and they have fallen in, into sin. What do we do then? How, how do we treat that person, especially coming off the fact that he has taught us what the fruit of the Spirit is? So here's, here's a couple of things to point out, just a couple of highlights before we read out of chapter 6. This, this word, in, it's not in the NIV, just so you'll understand this, but it's in the King James and many other translations where uh, the Scripture will point to one another, that we should love one another, that we should care for one another. In chapter 6, you're going to find out that you should bear one another's burdens. So that one another is used at least a dozen times in the New Testament. And, and what Paul is catching on to is the phrase that, that Jesus taught us, and he's just carrying it out, is that when we become believers, then we have a responsibility to join in with one another in doing things, uh, loving one another, caring for one another, bearing one another's burdens that we're going to talk about here in just a minute. So the Christian life, it's, it's a cool life, but when you sign on to the Christian life, you sign up and you give some of your ability to just place yourself in a box and you live your life without anybody else, you give that away. Because as a believer, now you're going to, to uh, reach out to other non-believers and believers with your life and share things with them. That's what this passage 6 is coming to. It's kind of like when you and I would write a letter, especially if you were writing a letter as a believer, my prayer would be that you would write that letter and at the end of it you would come to a place where you kind of begin to encourage again. That's what chapter 5 was doing and that's what chapter 6 is doing. I recently, uh, you probably don't know this about me, it's not that important that you know this about me, but uh, Laura, about probably about seven years ago, six or seven years ago, uh, started uh, be becoming very frustrated with my sleep pattern and, and the snoring uh, that I would do when, when I slept. And she started talking to me about that I uh, sounded like I was stopping breathing. 
And I said, well, that's impossible because I wake up every morning. There is no way that I'm stopping breathing. So I went on a mission trip one time, and the guy stayed in one room, and the girl stayed in the other room. And we got up the next morning to eat breakfast, and there was a, uh, a guy named Michael Hunt. His wife, Shelly, is a nurse, and she was on this trip with us. And Michael was eating breakfast across from me, and he looked extremely tired. And I said, Michael, I said, you look like you're really tired, like you didn't get any sleep last night. And he said, dude, I thought you were going to die last night. And I said, what? And he said, I kept waiting for you to breathe. I stayed up all night long just making sure you would take a breath. And I went, I don't get that at all. And Laura was standing right there, and she said, I told you that. And so naturally when I got back home, I did the thing that none of us want to do, but I went uh, to the doctor. Sorry, Dr. Head. Uh, Dr. Head and uh, Dr. Berg, all the other doctors. I'm just, I'm sorry, going to the doctor is not my favorite thing. But I went and, and they did a sleep study on me. Anyhow, sleep study shows that I basically die half the time in my sleep at night. And he, the doctor seriously said, it's, you're one of the worst I've ever seen in my life. You just stop breathing. And I said, I doesn't, doesn't equate, but okay. And so now I have a CPAP machine. So, you know, it's one of those things where you look like a monster at night when you go to sleep and you have this big mask. And I use it all the time. And Laura uh, is the most grateful person in the world that I had that machine. So I even bought one for travel because it's so bad. And when we travel, Laura wants me to have it. So I, I bought one and I traveled with it. It broke the other day. I'm telling you this story because I want you to hear the letter I just wrote. I bought it six months later, it broke and quit working. And so I, I talked to the company, did all kinds of things, and was going back and forth with them trying to get them to fix my machine. And so finally, I got hold of a person that was very helpful. And so I wrote the letter, and I wrote the letter, and I, at the beginning paragraph, uh, displayed my frustration with a machine that I had paid close to $500 for only working for six months and then breaking. So I went back and forth, back and forth in these paragraphs telling them my displeasure. But when I got down to the end, I said, I am so grateful that you are trying to help me resolve this situation with your company. And I would be most thankful if you would do everything within your power to get my machine fixed so that my wife will sleep in the same bed with me. <laughs> Sincerely, in love, your Christian brother, Bobby Smith. That's how I signed it. <laughs> that machine's coming back to my house completely repaired Tuesday. It's, I'm tracking it, and so is Laura. It's supposed to be there any day. I, I'm grateful. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. Paul is is wrapping up his letter and he's saying let let me reach out to you in love and, and share with you just a couple of more things as I get ready to to sign off on this this letter where you may have felt like at the church in Galatia that I've beat up on you for a while but I, I want to sign off on a good note so that's what Paul's doing here one of the things that Paul's trying to teach us is that legalists and, and he's going to show this in this chapter. He, he's going to say legalists don't 
uh, understand completely other people's burdens. In fact, they, they really don't care about other people's burdens, but they actually add to them. Let me give you a brief example of this, um, especially as somebody uh, who's worked uh, toward a, a higher degree in education. Any of you that have pursued your uh, college degree will kind of understand this. If you've pursued your master's, you, you will definitely get this. And those of you who have attained a PhD or some kind of doctorate, you will completely get this. I, I walked into my master's class, one, one class, at seminary. And I had a professor make this statement, and he followed through on it, and he was truthful with what he said, but it was uh, the most destructive comment that I've ever heard anybody make in a class at the very beginning of a class. But the professor walked in, and he, there was about 30 of us in this class, and he walked in and said, I'm just here to tell you that I'm passing out the syllabus now, and I'm here to tell you that nobody in this class will make an A. No one will make an A because it's too hard and you'll never be able to live up to the standard of what it takes to make an A. Nobody made an A in that class. Not one single person. He was true to his word. And I've heard of other people who have been in doctoral classes who have had that same kind of thing come back on them. Now, think through with me for a second. That professor that was my seminary professor and, and those doctor professors who don't give grades out based on your work, they had somebody that treated them fairly. Why are they not treating their students fairly? If you've earned the doctorate, and you've made the A in the class, and you're a professor, and you become a professor, then you have, uh, I think, uh, the emphasis put on you to be able to make your class good, make your class quality. But if somebody makes that A, earns that A, then they deserve that A. That's what Paul is saying here to the legalist. He's saying, look, a legalist will do this. A legalist will take the grace of Jesus all day long. They'll accept it and they'll be thrilled with it. But the minute somebody messes up over here, the minute one sin creeps into their life, they go, boy, you need to be punished. And you need to be punished to the fullest extent. See, that's what a, a legalist does. He's grateful for the grace, but then when the, it comes time to put the law into full emphasis, he wants it, and he wants it hammered down into somebody's life. And Paul's saying, that's not what believers do. You see, he, Paul basically says to us here, nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism more than the way legalists treat the way uh, a sinner sins. So for, for you and me, 
it, it becomes very apparent that if we base our faith on laws and on legalism, then once somebody sins, my grace is going out the window and I'm going to become wicked and I'm going to want to see everybody punished as much as they can be punished. It's that double standard. When, when I see you, I see wickedness. But when I look in the mirror, I see grace. I deserve that grace, but not you. Well, that's a legalist. But a Christian never feels that way. A Christian who understands the grace of Jesus Christ will never act that way. In fact, I wrote down after looking at several different commentaries, I kind of compiled this statement together that says Christian character is defined by the greatest extent of how you treat other people. You've heard me make that statement before about Josh, about I, I can tell a man's character, I can tell a woman's character by how they treat my son, Joshua. Well, a believer shows off his character by how he treats other people. That's how we show it off. When, when that waitress or that server brings you that meal and that meal isn't exactly what you ordered or it's not prepared the way you asked for it to be prepared, how do you treat that server? When that person makes a mistake checking you out and overcharges you for something, how do you treat that person who's checking you out? The other day I, I was taking something back to the store <clears throat> and I had had somebody tell me that if I returned it, they would refund it for me. But that person wasn't there that day. And so I brought the item back and I walked in and said, I, I need to return this. And they said, I didn't have the receipt. And uh, they said, did you buy it here? And I said, yes. And they said, how long ago did you buy it here? And I said, well, it was about five or six months ago. And it's quit working. And they said, well, we don't take anything back after 90 days. And I said, well, I talked to somebody and they didn't tell me that. They just said if I brought it back, they would accept it. And she said, well, our policy is 90 days. And I'm sorry, but I can't take it back. Now, I know just like you know and just like you're listening to me that I could have stood my ground could have argued and sometimes it you deserve that almost that right to be able to argue and so this is a real kind of a fine line that we walk but that day I just picked up the stuff and I turned around I walked back out to my car and and the Lord <clears throat> just basically said it's not worth it it's not worth it and I said okay I, I'm not going to do it so there, there's times like that, that that we have to discern when is it worth it and when is it not. And there's times that we have to look at the scriptures and determine how are we going to treat other people that we run into in our life. And Paul, in these first verses, the first half of this chapter 6, up through verse 10, is going to give us a, a small lesson just like he gave the church in Galatia a small lesson on how we treat other people and how we 
show love by the way we treat other people. Will you do me the favor of standing as we read Galatians 6, the first 10 verses? Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test, <clears throat> each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we just go through these 10 verses, will you help the Holy Spirit to speak through me, to teach us all what we need to know about how we should treat other people? And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're just going to look at two very basic points that I think are in these first 10 verses of chapter 6 that will help us to know what we're to do uh, when we're called to do good. And the first one is this. We're called to bear each other's burdens. Simple, I know, but it, it's very powerful when you look at what Paul is saying here. Paul is showing the contrast here between how legalists and a spirit-filled believer would treat someone caught in sin. What we've already kind of talked about at the beginning. But Paul here in these first verses is saying, watch out how you treat someone who's caught in sin. He says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. That doesn't come across as the way we like to be a lot of the times. The way we like to be is hard and fast with the rules. But Paul is saying here, we need to enter into restoration processes gently. It's important for us to know that. Listen, legalism never holds themselves up to the same standard that you and I as believers are called to hold ourselves up to. They never do. Legalists never have the same standard. When we see someone sin as a legalist, we want to throw the book at them. But Paul says, as a believer, when you see someone in sin, that your job is to approach them and try to restore them to the faith and to do it with gentleness. Legalists and believers have two different goals. The goal of a legalist is to make himself look better. If I'm a legalist and I see you caught in sin, I'm always looking at you and go, well, at least I'm not like him. Right? That's, that's what we do. That's what we always do. That's what the scripture teaches us even about prayer, that we walk in and we see people praying 
and we don't think they're being uh, spiritual enough in their prayers. And, and the Lord called them out when they even looked at somebody in the way they were praying. The Lord said, look, if you stand in front of the church and you beat on your chest and, and talk to God in front of everybody, you're not proving anything. All you're thinking is, I'm better than everybody else. But he says, if you really want to talk to me, if you really want to have a conversation with me, go hide in your closet and have that conversation with me where nobody else knows what you're doing. Nobody else knows what's going on. And then you can prove yourself as somebody who really wants to speak to me as your father. Well, the same thing is going on here with the legalist versus a true believer. A legalist is always going to point out sin because he thinks it's going to make himself look better. But a believer sees somebody in sins and says, what can we do to restore that person that's lost? What can we do to restore that believer that's sidetracked, that, that's made a mistake, that's struggling right now? How can we reach out to them? How can we help them? Now, in, in understanding this, Paul comes down to the end of this, and he says in verse 4, Each one should test his own actions, and then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. This is a few years ago, um, we were building a house, uh, and uh, we had come to the end of building, and, and they had uh, prepared the front yard um, for it to be laid with sod. And you guys, have, if you've ever done this before, uh, you know that they bring sod and pallets in there and things called squares, and you lay those squares out. And if you've ever done it before, it's a whole heck of a lot of work. And we had ordered an 18-wheeler full of sod, and uh, we had... Um, uh, I don't know how many pallets that is. It's like 22 or 24 pallets. And so I, I went and, and got some help. Uh, just some guys that picked up from downtown that were at the, the day camp place there and, and said, hey, do you want to come with me and, and lay some sod and I'll pay you and feed you lunch and do all that. And uh, I realized after we had started uh, that I had an, a problem, and here's the problem. There was two guys, and one of them was working like nobody's business. I mean, he was getting after it, and I was having trouble staying up with him. This was about 15 years ago. I was a little bit younger and could do a little bit more work, and I was. we were throwing out that grass, and, and every time I looked up, one guy was working just as hard as I was working, and the other guy was asking to take a break or taking a break without asking. And so what I realized is that me and one guy were carrying the burden for the other guy. And I got kind of frustrated with that, and so did the other guy who was working pretty hard. And I, uh, I did probably what most of you would have done. When we got to lunch, we got lunch for him, and I fed him, and I uh, asked the one guy if he would stay and help me the rest of the afternoon, 
and I told the other guy, I think we don't need you anymore. I think we're pretty close to being done, and uh, which wasn't true, but uh, I fed him lunch and took him back and, and paid him. And I came back, and me and that other guy and Evan and Josh, we put out the rest of the sod. It's interesting because what I was doing that day is exactly what the scripture is saying here. It says each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself, and he doesn't have to compare himself to anybody else. So Evan and I, when we got finished with that day, we, we kind of had a, a life lesson. And the, and the life lesson went something like this. Especially when you come to verse 5, it says, each one should carry his own load. So the life lesson that Evan and I had that day was, Evan, tell me who was working the hardest that day. And he said, I was. And I said, no, you weren't. I was. And he said, no, you weren't. And we both started laughing. And we said, that one guy, he was working the hardest. And I said, yes, he was. And I said, he was working for his family. He was working to take care of his kids. And he was working hard to make sure that it looked right. I was really impressed with, with the way that he took care of every nuance, that he wanted it to look good. He wanted to be proud of his work, even laying sod. He wanted to be proud of it. Well, Evan and I had that life lesson that day. And, and part of that life lesson is what I, I told Evan. I said, Evan, you should always want your job and your work to be good no matter who's watching. Because the Lord is watching. That's what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 6, verse 5. He's saying, Everybody carries your own load, but you don't compare yourself to anybody else. You just compare yourself to the fact that you're a believer trying to live up to the Lord's standards. And when you live up to the Lord's standards and you're wanting to do a great job, no matter what that calling is, because of his grace and his mercy, then you want to be a workman approved for doing good things for the Lord. And he, he even compares it to how we are to treat other people in sin. If I see somebody be ugly or mean to somebody who's in sin, I, my job is to come back in the restoration process and do exactly what Paul and the Lord teaches us here in the scripture, is, hey, I know you're struggling in your life right now. How can I help you? What can I do to make this better? For you, That's what Paul's saying here. That's how we are supposed to treat others. So one of the things that we're called to do in Galatians chapter 6, one of the things that Paul is telling the church, if we're going to shred and shed legalism in our lives, is we're going to have to bear each other's burdens. If you think about everybody that's in this room this morning, and all the struggles that are going on within this room, you know, you don't have to, to look very far to realize there's lots of burdens being carried in this room. Now, here's the most incredible thing, one of the things that Paul's trying to teach us here in the book of Galatians. 
is you don't have to carry that burden alone. Part of the reason that Holly Springs exists as a believing church, a caring church, is to help you carry your burden. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to walk alongside you. We're supposed to restore you when you stumble. And we're supposed to celebrate when good things happen. What a joy it was to go back and write on the board uh, earlier this week about the bees having a little baby boy. That's us sharing joy. But it's also us writing names back on the board of people who are struggling with illness. That's us sharing burdens. That's what we're called to do. And if we know somebody who's in sin and struggling with that sin, our joy is to share gently in a restoration process and bring them back. Listen, you've heard this probably a thousand times, but the church isn't a place for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. You are here this morning not because of how good you are. You are here this morning because and only because of the grace of Jesus Christ and what he's done for each and every one of us. You have no right to walk through the doors into this holy place except because of what Jesus Christ did for you and did for me on the cross of Calvary. And because of that, we can sit here and we can celebrate this morning because he is good. Not only are we supposed to bear each other's burdens, but we're supposed to share in each other's blessings. Now, you're going to get crazy when I tell you this, but this passage here, when you start in verse 6 and go through verse 10, this is really a passage about how you are called to give to take care of those who lead you in ministry. Verse 6 through verse 10 is really a passage for the church to be able to say we're supposed to take care of, of Bobby and we're supposed to take care of Gary and we're supposed to take care of Jason and, and Krista and, and everybody else who ministers. Even Clint, who's on a stinking cruise right now, we're supposed to take care of him. I don't understand it, but that's what the scripture says. But listen, I, I really don't want to completely go there this morning. This is definitely a passage that directs itself to that understanding. But it's also a passage that teaches us about how we are supposed to share in our Christian experiences. How we share in things that are good and bad, just like I was telling you about. Just like having a baby or having an illness. Uh, we share in those things, just like having a good marriage and having a struggling marriage. We're supposed to share in those things, just like having good finances or having struggling finances. The scripture says that we're supposed to share in those things. In fact, uh, when you look at verse 6 through verse 10, Paul is referring almost completely to material things. He's saying what we do with our material things is an evidence of how we view spiritual things. Let me say that again. 
<clears throat> because it's important for me to hear that, and it's important for you to hear that. And what Paul is saying is how we deal with our material things and how we share in those material things is important because it reflects how we view the spiritual. Let me read to you again what it says in verse 6. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. This is what I was talking to you about, how it's not wrong for the church to pay people who shepherd them in ministry. Okay? But look at verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from us the Spirit will reap eternal life. So it's this old standard that we all know. What you reap, you will sow. And what he's talking about here is material things. How are you going to deal with those material things that God gives you? Look at verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. <clears throat> now, I'm going to talk about Brian Pruitt for a second. Brian, I'm not embarrassing you. Trust me. But it was such a perfect example of what the Scripture is saying here. When it happened to me this past week with Brian, uh, I, I just had to say I'm going to use Brian. As an illustration here. So Brian walks in to my office on Thursday and he says, and if you don't know, Brian owns Appleby Farms. He and his wife own Appleby Farms and they raise all kinds of fruit. Some of our college kids work with him. I said fruit, vegetables. He raises all kinds of vegetables. Some of our college kids even work with him. So in the midst of raising all these vegetables, Brian has had an overabundance of squash this year. Uh, it's been crazy. The God has just blessed him crazy. In fact, when you leave here this morning, if you haven't walked into the kitchen, there are three bushels of squash there that Brian has left for you to give or, or to grab. So Thursday walks in and he says, I have this overabundance and I don't know what to do with it, but I, I need some help. Do you know any place that would take it? And I said, there is a place downtown Nack called Hope. And it stands for helping other people eat. And I said, I think they would be thrilled to grab those vegetables and pass them out as part of their deal. Now, this is a God thing, completely a God thing, because Brian came at about 11, 11.30. I was getting ready to ha uh, head to lunch, to go eat lunch downtown. And I, I called on the phone. They didn't answer. The, I know they're only open certain hours. So I said, hey, Brian, I'm getting ready to go downtown. I'm going to drive by this place because I know they've opened up a new place. I'm going to see if they're even there uh, or how this works and everything. So I did that. I, I drove downtown. I drove by the place. And when I got there, the parking lot was full to overflowing. There was probably 100 people standing in line, and they were waiting for the doors to open. And I called Brian. I said, oh, my gosh, Brian, today is the day that they're all there to load up to hand out food and to give it out. And it's overflowing with people who need food. And Brian immediately loaded up his truck and took, I think, somewhere around 150 pounds of squash down there and, and delivered it and it was all handed out. Today, he's brought it there too. This is what 
Scripture says that we're called to do with our material things. And I give it all away. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. That's not the calling on your life. Grow everything and give it all away. The calling on our life is how do we treat the material things that we've been given? Because how we treat those things is a reflection on how we view our spiritual life and the grace that Jesus Christ has given to us. Don't miss out on that. Now, here's the last thing, and you know I love to kind of hammer on this, especially when it comes to sharing blessings. But one of the things that Paul is teaching in this passage, too, is that the false teachers, so he, he's showing a good and bad thing. If you reap, you're going to sow. That's a good thing. But if you reap, you're going to sow. And that could be a bad thing, too. Because what Paul is saying here also, especially when you look at that reaping and sowing equivalency, is false teachers like the Judaizers were using the, tr the uh, traditions of the church to promote their own schemes and fill their own coffers. Let me make sure you heard me say that again. The Judaizers were promoting their own schemes and they were using the traditions of the church to fill their own coffers. That's why it's important that we do church the way we do church. Transparent, open, that you see what's going on. And that it's important for all of us who are in the ministry to live our lives out uh, as role models in, in, in the way we live, the way we give, the way we serve, and, and the things that we do with our material things. Is it wrong for us to have material things? No. I have a, a nice house. I have nice cars. I have nice clothes. We have those things. So does Gary. So does Clint. So does Jason. We, we all have those things. So do you. The key is how do you treat those material things? And you don't have to look very far flipping television channels on a Sunday morning or any other day of the week to see people who are telling you that spiritual means that you give, they take, they fill their coffers, and they live the high life. And I'm telling you here that the scripture teaches that those people that are living the high life now will not live the high life in the future. That's straight out of scripture. But it's also straight out of scripture that those who share in our blessings, who give of the things that God has given to us, and we bear one another's burdens, and we care for each other, and watch out for each other, that our reward is coming one day. Now, some of you live nice lives, just like me. I mean, I think I live a really nice life. And when I look at my life, I think, man, I have it pretty good. Can you imagine how wonderful it's going to be one day? When I look at the things that I have now compared to the things that he's reserved for us in glory. You're going to look at everything you own, everything that you have, and it's going to be ridiculous compared to what God has reserved for you in glory. That's why the great joy is giving it away. It, it, the great joy is in sharing, not hoarding. The great joy is in loving 
other people. Write down the scripture. We don't have time to go there, but if you don't believe what I'm teaching you about those people who live their lives like the Judaizers did, write down 2 Corinthians 11.20. It's a pretty firm verse to show that those people don't have much to look forward to. So let me sum it up. Three really quick turns. In verse 5, Paul gives us a precept. And the precept is this. Everyone needs to check themselves. That's the precept. Paul is saying in verse 5, check yourselves. Look in the mirror and make sure that you aren't casting stones at those who sin, but that you are restoring them gently back into the faith. And then he gives the principle behind the precept in verses 7 and 8. And the principle is this. Guess what? You can't fool God. You may think you're fooling everybody else the way you live life, but you cannot fool God. God knows what you're doing with your material things. He knows how you're loving others. He knows if you're caring for others. He knows if you're bearing one another's burdens. You can't fake it. You can fake it maybe to everybody else in the world, but you can't fake it to God. And that's what he's saying in verse 7 and 8. So he says the precept is this, check yourself out, love each other. That's what he's saying. And then verse 7 and 8, he's saying, you can't fool God, you can't fool me, you can fool everybody else, but you can't fool me. In verse 9, he's making a promise. So he has a, a precept, a principle, and a promise. And the promise is this in verse 9. In verse 9, guess what? There's a reward coming if you live your life for the kingdom. And that reward is going to be awesome. Here's, here's the thing that Paul closes out with, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. One of the things that Paul is saying here, and, and I'm finished with this, but one of the things that Paul is saying here is don't be a spiritual fainter. You ever heard that term before? I, I read it in a commentary and kind of fell in love with it. But we have people that are spiritual fainters. They, they work real hard for a while, and then it just gets to be too hard. And they faint, and they pass out. And all of a sudden, they're not here anymore. Just the, the spiritual life is too hard. The believing life is too hard. Um, and they use all kinds of excuses. It's too hard. It, it takes too much time. All they, they're always talking about my money. Uh, there's all kinds of excuses for spiritual fainters. But part of our job is to restore those people and to love those people back into the faith. Because the greatest thing that we can ever do, and it's what Paul's trying to tell the church here as he's pinning his last words, the greatest thing that we can ever do is bear each other's burdens and share those burdens and give of our lives and give of our material things to make the kingdom everything that it was intended to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your love for us, your grace, and your mercy. Father, you call us to be a people that bears each other's burdens. You call us to be a people that give of our material things. Father, you call us to be a people that gently restore people who are caught in sin. Father, will you help Holly Springs to be that kind of people, that kind of church family, 
Father, we love you. We are grateful for your grace and your mercy. Father, help us to look in the mirror before we start pointing the finger at anybody else and be reminded that you loved us, the sinful person that we are. Fathers, we come to this time of decision. May you open up the power of the Holy Spirit to affect the hearts of your people. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.